Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Gabriela Reyes, premier, incredible Hollywood publicist. You are such an incredible example of a moneymaker that has gone from all different kinds of jobs and industries and all that and didn't find your calling and your mission, but you finally found your mission. And I'm very proud to say, I think because of me. <laughs> You certainly had a lot to do with it. A by lot, now. a lot, a lot. You so, inspired me. So I wanted to talk a little bit so everybody knows, what kind of celebrities have you represented? And then oh we'll go back. gosh. I have worked with most of the major ones, including, of course, our favorite girl, Jennifer Lopez, uh, from the very start. I, I When she was uh, doing that summer series here at CBS, I, I kept out my eye on her. And then I thought, oh, man, the camera loves this girl. And she's so good. And so when I started working with Latina Magazine, they asked me who I thought should be in the very first cover of the very first magazine for Latina women. And I thought Jennifer Lopez should do it. And lo and behold, that was the very first cover of Latina magazine, right in, came out right in time when they announced Selena, which was her big break. And so, you know, from there, Jimmy Smith, Tizai Morales, Eddie Olmos. But wait, let's tell people, because a lot of young people listening don't know who Jimmy Smith is, believe it or not. So my son asked me the other day, who's Jimmy Smith? So Jimmy Smith was the, the star, the first Latino big TV star, and he was on L.A. Law. L.A. Law. And then he was on that other cop show. And now he's back because he's on the cop show on Sunday nights on CBS. Yes, that's right. And did you know that I lost the L.A. law role to Jimmy Smith? No. Okay, (laughs) we're going to go there in a minute. We're going to go back there in a minute. So (laughs) you've also worked with Eva Longoria. Who else? Charo, of course, who's a, a, a dear friend and I love her dearly. Nicholas Gonzalez, Annie Gonzalez, Jesse Rodriguez. And then talk about how when you're a, a publicist, you also have to take on corporations because they're the ones that really pay the money. So I can oh. say when I was president of Telemundo, you worked with me. And so you were doing Telemundo. What other corporations have you worked with? The major studios like Columbia, Fox, Searchlight, Warner Brothers, Universal, all the major studios, as well as networks, ABC. I handled George Lopez, Ugly Betty, Desperate Housewives for ABC, uh, Disney. I handled some of the Disney shows and some of the publishing houses, some of the media, big media companies. So, you know, all of that is beautiful. But then I know every, a lot of people listening are going, how did you figure all that out and how did you do it? So let's go now backwards all the way to right before you and I met. And I think you should tell everybody your original career was to be a dancer and an actor. Correct. That was your passion. So you're Latino and you're a Mexican-American from Texas. 
then moved to LA, but then you went to New York to be an actor. So talk a little bit about that and what brought you back to LA. Well, when I moved to New York, I moved to New York almost really out of college. I went to University of Texas in Austin and I took a degree in acting with a minor in dance. And I went to New York to, you know, make it as an actor. Uh, and Broadway was my dream. So I uh, was in New York. I did a bunch of small roles and soap operas, some small films. The dream was to become an actor, but, you know, I was trained as an actor, not as a Latino actor. But when I got to New York, you know, this was the 1980s. So this was before anybody was really aware of any Latino market or anything like that. So everything I went up for was, you know, the bartender, the hoodlum, the stereotypical Latino roles. And at some point, I kind of had an epiphany and I thought, really, Latinos, we have a really bad image in this country. I think the mainstream doesn't really know who we are. They operate on all these stereotypes about who we are. And I think I would like to get into a career of communications so that I could play a role in educating the mainstream American audiences as to who Latinos really are and all the contributions that we make to this country. You were questioning your... If this was your, you know, now now that we can see it in hindsight, if your timing was right, correct? In the, in that Latino actor space. Yeah. Uh, the timing wasn't a time where they were looking for people like you, or if they were, they were looking for you in a stereotypical way. So you yes. started questioning it. And let's go now to, you come back to LA and you, I want people to hear this because oftentimes you have an obstacle that happens. You're on a path and something happens that changes your life. And you had something happen that changed your life in LA. Correct. So I arrived in Los Angeles and I think it was 91. And in June, it's a Saturday night. I was in a show in West Hollywood and I finished the show like around 10 o'clock. My brother was visiting from New York. He and my husband came to see the show. We all went back to my apartment. I took a shower. He had a friend coming over and the friend got lost on the way to our apartment. It was already like 2 a.m. So we see the guy. We're up in the balcony on the second floor and we see him driving. So my brother says to me, why don't you go downstairs and go catch up with him and let him know where we are because he passed us. So I went downstairs and I was walking down the street and I see a, a group of young Latino kids coming towards me. And this is why you always should trust your gut. My gut told me at that moment, cross the street, cross the street. But I said, why? Don't be afraid. Nothing's going to happen. You're just making up a story in your head. Well, as I come, came close to, it, to them, I heard a bunch of shots in the air. And it sounded like far away, like it was somewhere else that they were shooting. You mean guns? They were shooting guns? Yes. And then I felt a sting on my right side, on my stomach. And then I heard a blood curling scream coming from a block away. And I realized that was me. I had screamed so loud and from such a deep place that I didn't even notice that that was me. It sounded like it was coming from a block away. So I knew I was hit. At that moment, I knew I was hit. So I uh, grabbed my side and I start running back to my apartment, call 911. I went upstairs. I'm bleeding from, from my front. 
Thank God I didn't see the blood from my back because that's when it was really bleeding. The ambulance came. There was a news crew there. They turned on the camera, but then they saw me walk out and, they, and the reporter said, oh, he's going to live. Turn it off. <laughs> oh, my God. So I went to so the hospital. You went to the hospital. But I know that that because we've talked about that a lot over the years. That was a highly traumatic event for you. It was. It was a very traumatic event. And it was a life-changing event. As I recall, it's been many years that you and I have talked about it, but you looked at it also as a sign that your life needed to change. Correct. There was a feeling of some kind of a block that I had lived with for a long time without knowing it. And it seemed as though the shooting kind of like was a sign, a very strong sign, but consequently it sent me on a path of self-discovery. So first I had to heal myself. Wait, let me, let me ask you a question because I know that when that happened to you also, you know, here's these Latinos shooting at you that are kids. When you go through that, you don't know if you're going to live or not. So it is like a near death experience. Like you could have died. Yeah. And so but- I want you to go there. Like when you feel like you could have died, like there for the grace of God, you made it. Do you feel, because I think you've said that to me in the past, that you feel sort of a reset of your life. Like you've been given a second chance. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. But it was a process. So it wasn't like from day to day, like all of a sudden I woke up and go, oh, no, it was really a process. And the first thing I had to do was process the shooting, take responsibility for it myself. And then go through the healing process before I could really see an open door and see the light of how my life could change. Uh, and so that's when that happened. And then I and then I met you. So I was going to say. So then what happened then? But let's talk about that parallel track. I had worked for many many years. All of the listeners know that I tried to start a business and nothing happened. For, for many years, for four years, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I talked to my son about this a lot because my son's in his 20s. And I was in my 20s and it was very, I was very tormented too. Like, is this going to happen? I know I want to start this business in the entertainment world, but it's not happening. And then right when I met Gabriel, I said to my my son, and this is a biblical term, but I don't mean it to be a religious thing that I'm saying. It's just a great term. I had this thing that I call the quickening, where Everything came to me. All good things came to me at once. I got all these deals. And and from zero, one year later, I had a multi-million dollar company. And I know that's a and 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 I want people to hear that too, because and Gabriel had that happen to him, I think, later. We'll talk about that, where you work and work and work and you think nothing's happening, and then everything comes to you at once. And then that's another lesson, which is how do you deal with success? when you still feel inadequate or not enough or any of those things. So I was meeting Gabriel at the peak of my quickening, right, Gabriel? Yeah. I, I was on the Fox lot. I No, I was at HBO and Fox, right? Yes, and an yes. an office at HBO and, a, and an office at, at Fox. And you were doing the gossip show. And-, and I was launching channels. I was hiring a zillion people to handle the quickening of all this business I was getting. And a friend of mine from HBO who was happened to know Gabriel, just to me, I know a great guy 
to be your assistant. You need a killer, like what we would call today a chief of staff, right? But back then we called it an assistant. And Gabriel came to my door and I saw his resume and I was like, and this is an example because I think the, the, the important part of the story, Gabriel, to me, is how many times do we have to go backwards to then leap forward? Yeah. And the truth is that I, I, I met Gabriel and Gabriel was older than me and he was so poised. I felt like he was almost more professional than me. And I my attitude as a younger boss was like, like, you're too qualified for this. You know, I need you to be my assistant and schlep. I remember you saying to me, which you can say, no, I need to, like, he realized he had gaps in his education in terms of being, he didn't know how to be an executive or this or that. And he knew that he had to go backwards. Right, Gabriel? Yeah. yeah. So talk about that. <clears throat> well, in my mind, I was saying, okay, I'm a storyteller. I'm a communicator. I'm a storyteller. So acting is part of that. What is uh, something else? Producing shows. And that was how, remember, that's how we met. And I created a presentation. I don't know if you remember. And yes, I do. Meeting, I created a presentation and you loved it. And I wanted for you and I to produce this project. And you said to me, I am really busy right now with my business, with my core business. I don't have time to get into something like this, but I have an opening for an assistant. And for me... I thought, well, gosh, I'm a producer, I'm this, I'm that. But I was new in LA and none of it had really formed or materialized. And I knew this door is open. There's no well, other doors that are open. The sign. I My first thing with you, Nell, and I don't know if you remember, we had breakfast and I fell in love with you. <laughs> uh, not in the romantic sense, but I fell in love with you as a kindred spirit. Yeah. Because- And I with you. Your energy, your energy. And then when you told me that you wanted to create entertainment for Latinos in, in English in the U.S., that was an epiphany for me. It blew my mind because that's where I was going. That was a project that I brought to you. So I want to talk to our listeners about this because they've heard me say, and you know my story, Gabriel, that I was working as a news reporter at CBS in Boston. And then I got offered that job with Norman Lear and Jerry Pranger running the rinky dinky station. And my ego, when, when they offered me the job, was like, I'm already, a, I'm gonna be a correspondent producer at CBS. I don't wanna do that. And they're like, are you stupid? And I had to go backwards and do something. In other words, when, I, I say a lot in the podcast, when my ego is in the way, I've failed. When I put my ego aside and follow what the universe is showing me yeah. and what's right for me, I win. Yeah. And, you know, I've told your story a lot because I feel like that was your moment where, yes, you, you come into the room and I, I thought like you were overqualified. You're coming to pitch me a project to produce with me. And I'm telling you, do you want to be my assistant instead? <laughs> and instead of you going, fuck you, bitch, which you could have said, right? Right. Or thought. You were like, maybe the universe is sending me a sign. Maybe this woman is going to be someone important in my life, you know? And I think we have to look at that. So let's talk about then our journey together. Because you were my assistant. And yeah. you were the best assistant on the planet Earth. And not only that, you brought other people to work with me. Everybody you brought to me, 
I still loved Madly. And I always felt like you had the best taste in people. Oh, thank you. Now. So you start working with me and you, you basically did everything, which was now talk about the power in, especially in a job like Hollywood, but in other fields as well, that people think being an assistant is bad, but in fact, you're at the center of the universe. Oh yes. The best job to learn everything. So can you talk about that? Well, it reminds me of, you know, when I watch some of these historical documentaries and they talk about having the Lord of the, you know, the Lord of the chamber. And that's the person that used to wipe the king's ass. But everybody wanted to do that job because that's you were next to the king. You had the king's ear. So people don't understand that in Hollywood, assistants are the gatekeepers. Like first you make friends with the assistant. First, you, you know, you, you uh, open that door first because the assistant is going to be the one, the way that you're going to get in to see that executive. So the assistants really in Hollywood wield a lot of power. And when I became your assistant, I just fell into it so naturally because there was a lot to do. And I did not say to myself, well, that's not my job or I shouldn't do that. I just, I just did everything that had to be done. Including, including get me clothes, including tell me how to dress, including telling me how to date, who to date, everything. You just ran my life. Well, the thing about that is, is that because me being gay and we just have that kind of rapport that I think yeah. you know, a lot of women have with our gay BFFs. And so we didn't have a lot of those barriers that you would have between an assistant and their boss. So you and I kind of became friends we worked, we were, we were friends. Of course, you were my boss and I was always mindful of that. But, you know, I was very free about talking to you about your personal life. <laughs> well, also, I think something that bears, it's important to say, is during that time, again, maybe because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, <laughs> I was learning on the job. We hired a very diverse staff. And when I say diverse, I don't just mean uh, culturally diverse, which it was, we really, it was really like the United Nations. Yeah. It was also diverse in skills and diverse in sexual preferences and all that. And again, it was so great because in trying to make content for the masses, you, you know, I didn't even know that I was doing it, but the truth is that it was such a beautiful group of people. We, we just had a reunion very recently. Yes. It was such a beautiful reunion because we have people that are so different. And I think that, that, that that's why we had so much success so quickly. And um, and I think that that's important to say as well, that sometimes you think uh, you have to hire people by kind of, you know, this is the job description. And this person should have gone to college for five years and they should have this and they should have that. And we kind of didn't do that. No. We got, we got the vibe of people and we just hired and everybody learned on the job. And I mean, now in hindsight, I think I could have brought a couple more people on board that even knew more than me because I needed help too. And so that's why I'm now a great coach for other CEOs. But we really did have a beautiful, I mean, it was, we had, we worked so hard and it didn't feel like work. It was like, no. right? Not at all. Fun. We had so much fun. And you know what it was now that because we were Latinos and that was a big part of it, you, um, you you were really more like what's this person's vibe and what then reading their resume 
So yeah. it was really like, do I have a good vibe with this person? Do I have good rapport? It's mala leche. I remember you used to say that. Mala leche means like, it's mala leche. It's mala leche. No, no, no. You know, we would always, you know, bring that in. I think that's a very Latin thing that we do is we, we gauge people's energy and their vibe. And, you know, that really dictates whether we, you know, go with it or not. We were all formed in this job, in this company, in your company. We all were formed there. After that, we all went off and did our own thing, already formed into a, a specialty, into a career. We had this diverse group of people. We had a lot of LGBTQ people. We didn't even call it that back then. We were all, you know, it was gay. Um, and how, what do you think about that? How did that affect your career? I think that being gay, I look at it as being an advantage um, because growing up as an outsider, lo looking in, you really get a lot of insights into a lot of people. And one of the things that happens is that you get to read people fairly quickly. You know how they talk about gaydar? <laughs> and so, you know, that's very active for us gay men. Like we can tell right away, okay. But it's not only gaydar. We also, we also have an affinity to be able to read people because we've been, you know, on the outside. And in terms of uh, owning a business, you get to know that your life is not linear because in your gay experience, it never has been. And so you learn to roll with the punches and you learn to say, okay, well, maybe things didn't work out uh, today, but I'm going to try again tomorrow because your life has been that way so much. Wow, that's really deep. You know, and especially those of us that grew up in the 70s when it was really, really tough to be gay. You're saying you have more grit because you had to really fight a lot of forces to get to where you are. That's correct. And even though you don't realize it, by the time you finish that journey, you realize that you have become stronger because of it. And so that helped me in terms of my business because I never really sweat too much. Okay, this account is gone, so, but you know, I'm getting another one. I was never like thinking that's the end because of my experience as a gay man, you just have to keep going. <laughs> you know what, I love that. And I love that because you know, as you know, I wrote in my book, In Your Pain is Your Brand. And I think it's because when you go into, when you take what you think is your problem and turn it into your asset. And I think that when you and I were at Telemundo, you re remember that I came up with the tagline for Telemundo, being Latino is the best of both worlds. You get to be yes. Latino and you get to be American. Yes. And I think that that's like you and I think like that, that, you know, it's like whatever it is that other people or we would perceive as our problem is really our gift. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt so much of the time that I grew up being ashamed of being gay. Well, now I'm just so proud of it and I celebrate it and I feel so fortunate to be gay. Because mm -hmm. I feel it, had afford it has afforded me a point of view that other people don't have. And look at what's happened since you and I met. You were with your then partner, and now that your then partner, so many years later, is your husband. Correct. You've done better than me in love, buddy. <laughs> I should have listened to you more. 43 years and counting. Wow. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get back to the show. So let's talk about your your next epiphany. So the company got so big so fast that Gabriel one day says to me, "We need you need publicity because in Hollywood that's another thing. The way that we were raised as Latinos is like be humble, don't talk about what you do, don't like you know low key. But we were like sitting there going, oh my god, our peers." that are African-American or Asian or other ones that are like, that was when, you know, the black market started becoming something. We're like tooting their own horn all the time. Right. And he goes, Nelly, we got to go tell the story of your company. We got to go do this. And I go, okay, Gabriel, you do it. <laughs> I mean, we didn't, I don't think Gabriel, it wasn't like he knew how to be a publicist, but at what point did you think, like, did you start even liking that? And then let's, and then let's talk about how, what happened, and we'll talk later about Lee Salters, because that's an important piece of the puzzle, but how you started doing that for me within the company, like you were like my assistant and you were my publicist and you were by that point, we're doing a million other things. I was, so, and again, because of your mission of what your company was doing, Tropics, I was so excited and passionate because that was exactly the alignment that I had. The idea well, that- then I, it was called Galan Entertainment. We had- Galan, we had Right. right. Galan Entertainment. And so our whole idea was the fact that there was a viable Hispanic market in the United States that was hungry to see themselves in entertainments, not necessarily all in Spanish, but in English, because we're second generation. We're third generation Latinos here in the United States. And that was news to everybody. It seemed to right. be news to everyone. And so I thought to myself, this is really exciting. We need to let people know. So I started writing letters. I didn't even know anything about press releases, letters. anything like that. I just started writing letters and saying, look, this is a company and this is this woman, Nelly Galan, and she's, you know, creating entertainments for Latinos. And, you know, this is what we're doing. And it was such a novel idea. It was a, a novel concept because at that time, Everyone thought Latinos were only watching Spanish. Nobody was really noticing or knowing that there was a really strong, uh, you know, English dependent mainstream, mainstream Latino market. So, okay, so let, I want the audience to hear this. So this guy, while he's my assistant and blah, 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 is writing letters to people, cold calling. By the way, he got in trouble for writing a lot of letters, including to men that he wanted me to date as if he's <laughs> writing as if he's me. Okay. <laughs> so he's like a very good letter writer to a fault. I, I almost fired him three times over that. But anyway, then he writes letters to all these PR outlets about me and about the company. Yes. And people start wanting to do stories about me. And before yes. you know it, I'm getting all these stories, which by the way, it's good and it's bad, right? Yes. Um, because I started attracting jealousy. I was like, I was like a hidden figure that had done all these things kind of quietly. And like, we had this like great little company that no, like not a lot of pe people inside the studios knew, but the rest of the world didn't know about. And all of a sudden Gabriel is like, 
you got to do all this media. And before I know it, I get the New York Times Magazine humongous story about where I came from, how I had built this company. And so I got so much press that everybody, okay, so tell them how everybody started calling you and going, can you can you get me the press you got, Nelly? <laughs> yes, I started getting a bunch of calls because of course I was still your assistant, so I was still answering the phone. And I started getting a lot of, a lot of calls asking me who's doing Nelly's PR? Who's doing Nelly's PR? And I kept saying, I am, I am. And so they kept telling me, well, can I hire you? Can I hire you? And I kept saying, so, well, so I work for Nelly. And by the way, Gabriel was very loyal. And he would come to me and say, all these people are asking me to do this, but of course I'm loyal to you and this and that. And okay, so now here comes the big story. I sit Gabriel down one day and I say, Gabriel, you need to go be a publicist. It's like, you are ready. It's like, like I get goosebumps even saying it because I remember thinking, oh my God, I've created a Hollywood publicist. <laughs> you know, like, all these stories, not me, but I'm saying the desire yeah. to help me then really made me see that he was beyond what he was doing. And you were very scared and you pushed back. I was scared. And so when we started talking about me going off and doing my own thing, I was like, oh my God, I'm so scared because I had kind of tied my star. I hitched my star to your wagon. And so what that did for me was it, it allowed me to go out and find my own power and find my own voice. Let's talk about how you finally did it because you were adamant that you did not want to leave. You were very, you were so comfortable in our cocoon yes. that you didn't want to leave. And I remember what I did is I sat there and I said, Gabriel, you're fired. You're fired and I will be your first client, but you're fired. And it's yeah. me firing you for you to finally realize out of the nest. that you had to go. Yeah, And I think that that's very, very powerful and worth people to hear it because that was many years later. So that was, you know, Gabriel came to me, what, in 92, Gabriel? Yeah, something like that. And then by the time I pushed him out, it was like 96? Six. Six? 96. Okay. This trajectory of having your own business can have these baby steps and different variations to get to the point where you have your own business, where you know how to do your own accounting, where you know how to do everything yourself. And for, for all of us, it's been a journey. Yes. Yes. I also think it's important to tell everybody that when people see, for instance, that we're in this glamorous field, you know, I mentioned that you have done a lot of celebrities, but you also do corporate gigs. I want people to hear that when I had the quickening that I talked about, it sounded great that I got all these deals to make TV shows and all of that. And I did make a lot of TV shows, but the company was grounded in meat and potatoes business. I also launched channels around the world. I also had a sub company called The Lab that made promos. And all of those things were revenue when the TV shows sometimes were good or bad or didn't work or whatever. And that running a business, what you learn is like, you, everybody wants to be in content and everybody wants to be in the glamorous, but it doesn't matter if you're running a Burger King or a production company. If you don't love the process of the big things and the grandiose things, and 95% of the time you're in the, the meat and potatoes, getting your hands dirty, 
and and you better love the boring yeah. and learn to find the boring beautiful because Gabriel, even in your business, how much of your business is so difficult handling celebrities? And maybe that's the part of the business that people think is glamorous, but maybe that takes up a lot of time and makes less money than a corporate client. That's correct. That is correct. And sometimes, and you're right, it takes less money and it's a lot more of your time, a lot, of, a lot more of your personal time. When you have, say, celebrities, they want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to your assistant. They don't want to feel like you're handing them off to somebody. They don't want to feel like you're not specifically creating a plan that uh, customized for them. They don't want to feel like they're cookie cutter. So you really expend a lot more time. You know, a personal publicist, you have to dress them. You have to uh, find them jewelry. You have to go with them to all the events. You have to find them hair and makeup. You have to find them deals. There's a lot of different things that a personal publicist does. Whereas as a, a corporate account, you, you're working as part of a bigger team, probably an in-house team. And there's more of a group workload and consensus. So it's a little bit different. So, Gabriel, you were lucky that mission and money came together for you because you have your own business. And we know that if you had stayed as an employee the rest of your life, you wouldn't have made the money you've made. But talk about the mission and the money and the importance of making money. Like if you had to do your life over again, are there things you would do different? You know that I say in my book, don't buy shoes, buy buildings. And I've always told you that, you know, I've made five times the money in real estate than in TV. Yes. So what advice would you give people? And also I, I'm talking about young people, but I'm also, I also want to talk about, people our age that maybe haven't made the money, but still haven't gotten to where they're going and they have to pivot at our age as well. So what do you think about this whole money piece of the, of the puzzle and how do we make money and not just be artsy fartsy out here and not be making money? Well, I think that part of the thing is like that you were very smart is that you figured out what's one thing that networks need anyway. They need promos. They need all of the basic things you put together, a little shop that was going to provide these services that everyone needs all the time. There is no season in and out of that. So you, you put together that base and then you went off and say, okay, now I can do some prestige projects or some fun projects that may or may not go, but I have my bread and butter business that is. And so I try to do the same thing with my business. And that is to bring in some legacy clients that I knew that I was going to have for years. It was going to be an ongoing um, agreement and that I was going to be, uh, I was going to do very well in terms of servicing those clients. And then I would start to look at other clients that perhaps were beyond my reach or that were beyond my wheelhouse. And I think also in today's world, we would say, you know, you have to find a side hustle. Like I tell my son, you know, my son might be interested in the entertainment world in whatever, in whatever capacity. And I say to him, I've told him, you can't do anything till you get your, which he just got his license in real estate in Miami, in Florida. And yeah. now he's getting it in California. Cause I go, you need a meat and potatoes business. Like I think for many years we were telling kids, follow your bliss and the money will come. And that's not always true. Right. Like, you need to be more pragmatic than that. People go, I just have to do my A thing. I can't have a B, a B plan because it means I'm giving up. No, that's not true. Think of it differently. You have mission that you love, the thing you would do for free, and then have a side hustle that you're cold about 
and that just makes money and hopefully has a flexible schedule so you can do the other thing. Right. But don't give up on money. You need money. That's why this podcast is called Money Maker. Correct. I feel like I, listen, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. God knows I've had a lot of disasters happen, but not in my career, not in my, in my money life, because I've been maybe, and maybe because I'm an immigrant and maybe because I'm so afraid to go back to where my parents had to leave their country and have no money that I always take care of business. I always say the mothership of money has to be whole. Yes. Then I can play and do other things. I'm here in LA right now. We moved our tenants into my house. I'm renting my house. And I took my son to do the tour. And the family goes, God, we can't believe you're here. And I'm like, well, because I'm teaching my son that this is just as important as a, as the most glamorous job that you can have because yeah. you're my customer. And I have to service my customer, just like I service a network and like you service your clients. Yeah. And that's the most important thing, because that in the end is your reputation. And I have to say, I've been in this business over 25 years and I have a, a great reputation. There's very few people that you can talk that you can talk to and say, oh, they were disappointed. Most of the people that I've worked with, um, you know, I have I have delivered and really over delivered in many instances because I'm passionate about telling the story. That's the thing. The way that I was passionate about telling your story is, and that's, I think that's what makes the great publicist is somebody who is passionate about telling a story. And I was passionate about telling your story and I'm passionate about telling the stories of my clients. And a lot of times I will turn down work if I don't feel like I could, you know, tell that story. If I don't feel I could do right by that, then I don't take it. Because I really want to feel like I'm excited about, uh, uh, because, you know, most of our job is pitching, sales. We have to sell. That's the other other thing that nobody says, that storytelling in a way is selling. Yes. You you have to almost seduce Mm -hmm. the reader or or the listener to fall in love with your story. And take action. Yes, correct. And that's what PR is. People say, you know, PR, PR, PR. PR is the most important thing that you could do for your business because it builds your brand identity. Thank you for your circuitous and going backwards to go forward and all the way around to get to being the moneymaker and the dear person that you are. Well, thank thank you you so much. And I'm so happy to still know you all these years later. Well, thank you, Mynell. I appreciate you thinking of me. And of course, I love you dearly. And uh, let's keep working together. (laughs) Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nellie Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.